your boy BC, and it's bonus time on this holiday week on the State of Combat podcast on CBS Sports. The Brian Campbell, the voice that you hear. And we got holiday gifts. We arrived at the Thanksgiving table with the good stuff. The stuffing, the mashed potatoes, the cranberry sauce, the meat pie. Yes, the meat pie, fellas. Indeed. Hey, fellas and ladies, because we know... We got some passionate listeners here on the SOC. It's a pro wrestling bonus pod for you to stick in your ear holes on the long drive to and from the family get togethers for Thanksgiving. Who we got today? Wow. 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 Two giant guests. You want the biggest names in the sport? You want the Silver King to pat himself on the back for making the PR connections? We got the mocks right here, right now. It's John Moxley. Talking about his exit from WWE and Days of the Shield as Dean Ambrose and talking about where AEW is going and whether we really are in a war between brands. You're going to hear Mox talking death matches. You're going to hear a lot of good stuff, but it doesn't end there. Who's going to be on this show? Who does it have to be on this show? It is Kane. It is Glenn Jacobs who stops by. To talk about his new book, talk about his run right now as mayor of Knox County in Tennessee. And look, spoiler alert, man, I may not always love Kane in the year of our Lord 2018 in a title feud, but Glenn Jacobs, the man, is uh, is a good dude. It's hard not to love him getting to talk about his uh, his legendary career, which is uh, really based on, on longevity, on commitment to his character. He's going to break all that down. His connection with The Undertaker. You're not going to want to miss this. And folks, man, wow. The SOC's been humming, been firing lately. We gave you Stone Cold Steve Austin, Deontay Wilder, previews, recaps, instant analysis, both of Wilder Ortiz 2 over the weekend and Survivor Series. We hit you up on all three combat sports. This is the major leagues of professional combat audio. This is where the big boys play, huh? Yes, Kev. Look at the adjective. Play. Look at that adjective. Indeed. Uh, we got your back, okay? It's the only show that's backjacked, packed, and underwritten, of course, by that one and only performance enhancing audio that your boy BC delivers. So if you like this show, and I know that you do. If you see something, say something. Please, if you haven't done that solid for us yet, it's the best way to keep this show uh, going in the right direction. Taking, uh, Going out of our way to get the biggest names, covering the biggest events. Head on over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Look, wherever you're consuming fine audio, leave a review, leave a rating. Tell us what you love about this show. Look, it's going to be pro wrestling award season coming up. We want to know what's your pick for pro wrestler of the year in 2019. You heard our debate on this week's pro wrestling show between Jack and Adam. Who's your match of the year? Tell us in the comment section. We want to read your take. We want to use your two cents to help us in handing out the brass and the hardware at the end of the year. So please do us that solid so we can continue to give you the good stuff. And now look, folks. Uh, is there anything better than Wednesday nights? I really don't think there is right now in pro wrestling. I love the little comeback Raw's making off of Survivor Series and a lot of the little teases and tidbits that we talked about on Tuesday's episode of the SOC. 
that Paul Heyman's influence is huge there, but Wednesday is where it's at, specifically for the hardcore fan NXT on the USA Network. AEW Dynamite on TNT. It just feels like the old days. It's still real to me, damn it. It really is. Shout out to that guy, by the way. I love that guy. Um, it's just so pure. It's two companies, and even though they'll, they'll, you know, you'll hear different quotes. Are we competing? Is it a war? It's not. We're just trying to do our best show, and they are. But it's a competition. I mean, on Wednesday nights, it's a head-to-head competition, and they're bringing it, and they're doing it in 2019 style. Like, yes, AEW's got some great feels of the past going on in there, and certainly so does NXT. Paul Levesque and, and crew there at NXT have been genius in blending in that old territorial feel with the the modern advances that we've done in terms of work rate. Yet at the same time, it's always about the stake. It's always about that story. It's always, you know, it's not about uh, corporate crap. I'm just curious, when the hell did you turn so corporate? Uh, They turned corporate when they went public, and it's all about Saudi and the money. But Wednesday night, still, it's pure, man. It's pure. And shout out, of course, to NWA Power on Tuesdays for this uh this nostalgic feel that they're feel, that they're building there but Wednesday nights are where it's at so you know I'm fired up to get this chance to talk to Mox so shout out to the Silver King for getting that hooked up and the folks at AEW and I want to remind you that the John Moxley interview today you can also watch on YouTube yes you got Mox's face on there. You got my own. You can watch that. It's a solid uh, 23 minute sit down talking about everything you want to hear. So uh, yeah, make sure you check that out. But we got Mox coming up and uh, it's crazy. I, I would have. What would I have guessed his post WWE run could have been like? Could he have asked for a better introduction than the pop he got at at Double or Nothing? Could he have asked to be in a better position off the start than feuding with John, with uh, Kenny Omega. And I know that got delayed because AEW's weekly TV show Dynamite did not kick off until later in the fall. And of course, the Moxinator went to Japan and did the G1 jam and got it hurt and it delayed things. But this has been a heck of a presentation for a guy who struggled as an artist, like we talk about a lot in WWE, struggled with the scripting, struggled with the... Uh, the 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 gaga the watering down the hey let's make it not serious let's let, let's clown everybody this is a guy who comes from the death match circuit wants to lay that crap in wants to tell a story of a fight of two men going out there that's why it works so well for him in japan and he was able to learn on the fly as he's about to tell you later in this interview about just how grueling that g1 was and to see where Mox is at, man, I just see somebody who is so comfortable in their skin as a performer right now. And it's great to see. I mean, this is a guy who he's always such an interesting interview. He tells the truth. He's he's a little bit, you know, edgy and peculiar at times. But to see him now comfortable and happy and it, it's, it gets me fired up. And, and it, the crowd obviously is a big part of AEW, but they're they're playing to the crowd in such good ways. So. I'm enjoying it like crazy. You know, I needed an alternative. I think there's a lot of fans out there that need and feel the same thing. And, and it's not that Raw and SmackDown can't give us that stuff. Well, SmackDown's got a lot to prove to me personally. I'm not sure who it's for, but Raw can still do it sports entertainment style, if you will. 
And that's fine. I mean, sports entertainment, we lived with it for a long time. There's some good elements to it. But I do need pro wrestling in 2019. I, I mean, that's what gets me excited. Is that what gets you off? Yes, Rick. Don't you understand? We get them yeah. off. Well, you did. You did for many years, Rick, by doing it pro wrestling style. So I'm thankful on this holiday season, folks, for what we have going on on Wednesday nights between WWE's NXT and AEW, Tony Khan, Cody, the folks going on over there, the Mox is a big part of that. And obviously, folks, I'm thankful for you because uh you've been with us. How long has this ITC SOC show been going? We launched it in 2017, right after WrestleMania, shortly after I joined forces here at CBS Sports. We're hitting you up with three different sports each week. You're listening. You're giving us that feedback. You're telling your friends. So I am thankful for the the hardcores. I'm thankful for the, for the people that stumble in. Thankful for our Mount Rushmore of intense and insane listeners, Adam X Parsons. Because you guys all know that I'm a rough writer. Yes, I'm thankful for Bob Backlund at TalkBox, all right? Friends, Roman Reigns, Mex-Americans, lend me your Mick Foley ears. Indeed, indeed. You know what? That's the deal. That's the deal. I'm thankful for, you know, Black Sabre Jr., who probably should have been there. I'm thankful for Omar Al-Rashid, my bro-ham. Now spill that milk and magnesia for me because I've made it, baby. You have, Omar. All right, you're my broham down under there. Love you, man. And of course, you know, I'm thankful for the great Tristan Atalano, who, you know, I went into my, uh, you know, when you're flying and you don't pay for the Wi-Fi and you're like, man, I got 45 minutes left on this flight. I guess I'm just going to look through my pictures on my phone. I, I see all those, uh, those, those stills I took of Tristan in the crowd at WrestleMania, at pay-per-views, holding up ATC, Campbell, Costo, Silverstein, holding up. Uh, you know, that, that, that soundbite we like to drop a lot of, of Hulk. Where are you? Where are you, brother? I'm bored, brother. So, uh, I'm fired up for you guys. I love me some Tristan Edelano. I want to thank you for shutting the F up and letting me talk for a minute. Thank you, Tristan. Thank you. So, um, thank you people for being passionate, for being part of our show, for dropping in your DMs, for being by our side. For not being corporate. No, 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 no. That's not your legacy. You want to know what your legacy is? I'm going to tell you what your legacy is. Now that John Cena has gone off to Hollywood, you have assumed the role of corporate bitch. Not our listeners, though. Not our listeners. They get it. They're with us by this ride. So uh, that's why we like doing these bonus pods. That's why we like giving you what you want, when you want. Firing me up. Firing me the heck up. Yes, indeed. All right. Hey, why don't we do this? Let's take a pause for the cause, hear from our friends and sponsors. But on the other end, it's going to be Mox time. You're going to hear from him. It's coming up right at you after these words. John Moxley, AEW, in your ears. Enjoy. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
Got your happy price, price line. Professional wrestling could not be any hotter in 2019, with a lot of people calling it a third boom period. The reason competition, not just in-house in WWE with the rise of NXT, but what's going on on Wednesday nights on TNT, 8 p.m. Eastern, with the launch of AEW and the weekly show Dynamite. And a big part of that is our guest on CBS Sports, the man, the myth, the Mox. It's AEW's John Moxley stopping by. Mox, I'm fired up to chat with you, given what's going on. It's a great time to be a pro wrestling star right now. How are things, man? Uh, pretty good, man. It is a great time in the business. It's a great time to be a fan. It's a great time to be a pro wrestler. And uh, tomorrow night, AEW Dynamite in Chicago, one of the best wrestling towns on the planet at the Sears Center. And it's going to be an electrifying evening. A big-time wrestling town, like you mentioned, Thanksgiving Eve there. We're going to check that out. Now, look, we knew you for years as Dean Ambrose in WWE. Your exit on your own terms to go solo has been one of the biggest stories of 2019. Six months into this, Mox, how would you describe your time now on your own, doing it your way? I don't think it uh, could be going much better. Uh, when I initially decided to uh, leave where I was at before, uh, AEW wasn't even a thing in existence yet. So that opportunity came up, and uh, it uh, just worked out really good. It, I was uh, excited about kind of the project and uh, agreed on all the points about, you know, we need that there are fans out there that need an alternative. They deserve a national, uh, global, you know, mainstream alternative. And there's an audience for it. And uh, we can give them that. And uh, I think we're really succeeding in giving uh, the mainstream audience something different, which is the biggest uh Biggest thing I think we need to do, uh, you know, a lot of other uh, startup promotions over the years have kind of relied on uh, ex-WWE stars and the WWE formula and so forth like that. And the cool thing about this is that, you know, the top six, eight, however many guys, if we wanted to be over there right now, we could. We're actively choosing to do something different to uh try it a different way. And it's all dudes all in their prime at the top of their games. Uh, and we brought these fans along with us. And really these AEW fans that are showing up to Dynamite every single week that are watching our pay-per-view, coming to pay-per-views, uh, following our stuff. The, really the fans have driven this more than anything. It hasn't been hard. It hasn't been like we've been trying out. We've been, uh, you know, staple gunning posters all over town trying to get people in the buildings. You know, they're, these these fans are hungry for an alternative. They want this. And uh, we're just trying to give them the best possible wrestling show we can every single week. Well, we're really connected with me, John, when you made your exit from WWE at the ex expiration of your contract. Was the things you talked about in that podcast appearance with Chris Jericho about being an artist. Uh, from that standpoint, I've been watching you on AEW. I don't see any gas masks. I don't see any on-screen immunizations. How much creative control do you have over the, this version of John Moxley that we're seeing? Pretty much, uh, full in that it's all a collaborative effort. Uh, there's so many great ideas that come in and I go, that's a great idea. Really? That's cool. We could do that. <laughs> Hell yeah. That's awesome. And I'm hearing good ideas. And, uh, I have full control in that, you know, 
I'm not going to go out there and do anything that makes me look stupid. Uh, at least not on purpose. Um, and that is a very, uh, that's a giant kind of weight lifted off my shoulders, you know, but, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a collaborative effort with everybody. Uh, everybody's got ideas. Everybody's got adds their own little flavor to the mix. You get all these talented, like super creative guys that don't, that have no fear of like reprisals. There's no higher ups. We're trying to uh, make sure we have to please or anything like that. It's, you know, super creative guys who don't give a damn what anybody thinks. We're trying to put on something that we like, that we think that people will like. And, you know, you got to play your music your way and, and hope that, uh, you know, people appreciate it. But whatever it is, it's honest and authentic. And you have all these different kinds of guys with all these different kinds of styles that bring something different to the table. And right now it's a real variety of, you know, you can have, we got high flyers, we got power guys, we got funny guys, we got, uh, violence. We got, uh, we got, we even got some sports entertainment, some traditional, you know, guys in the ring doing entertaining segments. You know, we literally have everything on the show and, uh, it's a just testament to how much talent we have of all that brings so much different stuff to the table and the fact that nobody's everybody's completely unencumbered by uh, uh, any other outside forces creatively we're just everybody's just going it's like a it's kind of like a giant musical jam session every Wednesday night <laughs> the end of the night everybody's goal is to just make sure they leave everybody leaves on their feet and that's there's uh, not a lot of, uh, not a lot, not any kind of negative egos or negativity right now. It's all just a very positive. And like I said before, the fans are really the ones driving and powering all this, and it just makes it such a joy to go out there and perform in front of them. Like I said, it's one giant, AEW right now is one giant jam band. We're just going out there jamming for two hours on Wednesday night, and the crowd loves it. That, that's made a great that, way to put it. On the spot, I hope it's good. I don't know if that's anything. I mean, the crowd has been a massive part of it. I think you guys are playing to them in really good ways. But if we're going to take this music analogy further, you said AEW brings different styles. They also bring death metal from the idea of sort of the death matches, which we know you have a history of pre-WWE. At AEW Full Gear, the most recent pay-per-view, you and Kenny Omega put on basically a 39-minute thriller there with that unsanctioned match. It brought back the feels, John, of old school ECW and some of the things that hooked a lot of us originally as a fan. Did that match go too far in your eyes? Is there a too far in 2019 for you as a performer? No. No to both questions. Uh, I was thrilled with that match. Uh, I remember thinking the night before, I was like realizing how far we were going to take it. And, uh, you, know, you get two guys like me and Kenny who are uh, super creative, uh, artistic guys who really don't give a damn what anybody uh, thinks about anything. We're pretty immune to, uh, you know, worry or fear of criticism or anything. And I remember thinking the night before, I was like, some people are going to hate this, but this is going to be awesome. I was like, oh, my God, this might be really awesome. <laughs> like, we're going for it. And uh, it's funny because it's funny how, like, how little any of this was my idea. Like, I, I would have never, uh, you know, I, I make no apologies for my uh, 
love of the, uh, you know, the, the, the deathmatch style, the hardcore style, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but I would never force that upon anybody else because it's not for everybody. A lot of people are grossed out by people getting, uh, you know, things jabbed in their eye and stuff like that. I'm not one of them. Uh, I would never imagine that, you know, we'd be allowed to go that far in AEW, but, uh, so when I started, some of these ideas started getting bandied about. I was like, really? We can do that? Hell yeah. All right. This is going to be awesome. I'm your guy. Uh, so I, I was thrilled with it, man. To do something that would legitimately like shock people and got people talking in 2019. And more importantly, something that was just different. You know, you order a pay-per-view for the last decade or so. Even if it's really good, you pretty much know what you're going to get. And to do something that was totally unexpected and to create a, a really unique painting. And I said it uh, on some of this other media today. I, we painted the painting we wanted to paint. And it's not something everybody's going to want to hang up in their living room because they might look at it and it might make them a little uncomfortable. But well, I uh, love the commitment, John. I love the commitment that you two showed to say, look, this is the style of match we're doing. We're going all in. So please break kayfabe for us. What the heck hurt the most? I mean, there was a, a bed of barbed wire. There was mouse traps. Give, give me the inside scoop here. It all hurts, man. It all Man, people think, I mean, re- everything in wrestling hurts. To, to say, like, oh, that hurts most of this would be a disservice to just the regular moves you take on a daily basis. And I've been in, I've been in pain for so long, and just my normal level is just, like, feel like crap all the time. So, like, it's kind of, uh, as far as, you know, how much it all hurt, it was kind of the, uh, not like I woke up the next day like, oh, my God, what have I done? It was just kind of more the same, but it was more satisfying. Like, the worst stuff to me is, like, you know, I'm not really into falling from high places anymore. I've done enough of that, you know. The, the tables and chairs and the car crash stuff, like, that can really hurt. Uh, that can really take a toll on your body, uh, you know. But uh there was a point where, I kind of ducked my head. I got gashed open in the back of my head, and it was pretty early on in the match, and I just felt the hot liquid running down the back of my neck. And I thought, oh, this might not be good. So I just <laughs> covered it up. and was put pressure on the wound, and I was like, well, they'll probably, if I bleed so much that I pass out, they'll come out and save me. So I'm not going to bleed to death. So let's just hope it stops bleeding here pretty soon. And it, it did. So we we got through the next forty minutes or so. Uh, Love it. Yeah, that was a uh, you know Kenny Omega is kind of uh, at his kind of what he's known for is kind of like he's kind of like classical music, like very long, very beautiful, graceful, elegant, uh, detailed, long performances. And I'm kind of like thrash metal, just very in your face. So you combine these two things and you have something totally different than anybody has ever seen or at least seen it in decades. And I, I put that, I put that up against any, uh, any match of the genre from any company, uh, out there. And I don't really give a damn what anybody else thinks. Take that. I love that. I love that confidence. So response, yeah. And I, I knew we had home run. There's a response I got from, you know, those within the industry and, you know, like other wrestlers and peers and so forth that was just like, and I could tell in the building just the, I love the crowd. I love the 
I love the feeling in the air. It was like it was a different feeling that I haven't felt in probably a decade since I last did uh, some of those things. You know, it's a different feeling in the air where it's like these two guys say they they're gonna try to hurt each other and kill each other. It shouldn't be like all sunshine and rainbows and shit. Like it should be a little uncomfortable. If we're trying, you know, if I'm like, I hate this guy and I'm trying to hurt him, there should be an uneasy feeling in the air. You know, if it's the guy you like and I'm stabbing him in the eyeball with a pencil, then yeah, it should be a little uncomfortable. I like that we made people feel something a little different, you know. Well, speaking of the feels here, John, let's talk about this. You you reached, obviously, the highest of highs with WWE, from being WWE champion to being part of the Shield, one of the greatest groups or factions we've ever seen. But May 25th, AEW double or nothing when you made your debut, when you came in at the end of the show, when you attacked Kenny Omega. I'm not sure I've heard a bigger pop. Where does that compare to what you've enjoyed from a pro wrestling crowd throughout your career? Uh, that was a very special moment for me because that was kind of a, that was a rough last couple months there. Uh, I was just kind of, I went radio silent. I didn't really say anything about anything, even though all these rumors were going everywhere about what I was doing, is he going, staying, whatever. And then I put a lot of effort into creating that trailer video uh, that I put out that got uh, rumors even went even crazier. It had the exact effect that I wanted it to. Nobody knew why I was going to pop up or when or whatever, but people got the point that, like, that, that was kind of the buildup and the payoff was to the video was double or nothing. When I showed up, I feel like people really, no matter how many rumors there were, I feel like nobody's really going to believe it until they see it. Like, nobody leaves WWE. Especially, he's like, he's a S.H.I.E.L.D. guy. He's not going to leave WWE. You know, I think people just didn't believe it until they saw it, no matter what the rumors were. So, But the, the, but the video kind of primed it and set it up. So the second I walked out, Everybody knew who I was, what was happening. They knew I was John Moxley. They were, they were immediately had a full arena, and because John Moxley wasn't a famous name, that was my name. But now I had a whole full arena of people instantly chanted my name. Was after the months of after being in hiding for a month, and then the months of kind of just dealing with getting through the end of WWE and all the. It was a really weird period of time. And then, then we've been hiding, and then finally, to just finally kind of come out and take a breath of fresh air and be like, I'm back, bitches. And the crowd <laughs> is great. Like, it was, uh, it was not just because the crowd made a bunch of noise. It was just deeply satisfying on a personal level, just from how, uh, challenging the previous few months had been. Well, John, not because I think you're a potentially vindictive person, but because of the passion you show for this art form and this craft. You ever want to text Vince and be like, how you like me now? Mm, no. No. I, I, no. Not really. I don't really, really have any. I don't have any. Uh, especially now. Like when I. Uh, now that it's however long, six months or whatever later. I'm not motivated by any sort of like, oh, I'm going to show WWE or I'm going to show them or this. Or like I showed them. I was. I had the great run there. They like I already. I have nothing to like prove to them. I kind of don't care about them. What they do, they can do whatever. Good luck to them, whatever. But like they're not like 
I don't have any of uh, I don't have any of that chip on my shoulder as far as like I'll show Vince. You know, I don't. I honestly don't have that. Uh, I feel like that would just probably be just negative anyway. You know, my energy is about uh, creating new positive things and just putting together, uh, putting out little pieces of work, whether they be big or small, you know, having a good match or a good angle or a good promo and I'm just uh, enjoying myself and just enjoying the fact that I don't have to have a real job and I get to live my dream, that life's been good to me and I just want to live in the moment and really just enjoy that. I just get to be a, I get to be a pro wrestler. Which so is all I ever wanted to do. You're telling me you wouldn't be upset if you turned on Raw one day and Baron Corbin was the new third Shield member. Just want to set the stage here. We're good on that. <laughs> uh, that would amuse me to, to no end. All right, Mox. Let me talk about another step in your journey this summer when you went to Japan, New Japan Pro Wrestling, that insane G1 Climax tournament in which you're wrestling basically every day for a month and a half. I want to know what your future is in Japan and how grueling that actually was for you. Um, I love Japan. Oh, as long as I'm wrestling, I will always wrestle in Japan. Uh, I love the fans, the culture. Uh, I love Sumo Hall, Corken Hall. I love the style. I love that it's, it's different than here in America. And it, it, everybody that's ever wrestled over there, uh, always wants to go back because it's, uh, it's just a real special place and special style it's more sports oriented and it's, it's just different and uh uh you know i was like i never planned on doing the g1 that was just kind of floated to me and i was like i knew how hard it was and i'm like because i'm a new japan fan and was like "Ooh, that's that's uh, i don't know that's the tough one but uh and then i was like five seconds later i was like well now i have to do it because I was like, oh, that's hard. Now now I can't back out because now I feel like a wuss if I don't do it. So I was like, well, got to do it. Just, you know, so I was like, all right, I'm in. So I'll figure out this uh, New Japan style on the fly, and I'll just uh, rely on instincts and uh, work really hard and have fun and see what happens. And uh, I was really happy with uh, my, my run. I was happy with all those matches and just had some matches over there. I'm just really proud of it. And it was a fun experience. It is grueling though, because it is really physical and it does not stop for five weeks. And I had a, uh, I have a pinched nerve in my neck that kind of was bugging me before I left in like June that I was kind of trying to get worked out that I didn't have kind of properly diagnosed. I just thought it was kind of a stinger. And the first day of that tour, it just started kind of, it became exacerbated. And then just further exacerbated as the tour kept going because I'm getting punched in the head and forearmed and, you know, the style so physical. So I was in pretty bad, uh, excruciating pain pretty much 24-7, pretty much for the entire five weeks. Uh, so that made it a little bit harder. It didn't really affect my uh, performances at all. It just, like, kind of made it a little – it was uncomfortable being in the ring. Just like, ah, God, I didn't but I was able to get, I was able to do some spinal decompression and get it kind of properly diagnosed when I got back and uh, kind of fixed it. So it's uh, starting to go away now. It's not really bothering me anymore. Uh, but yeah, man, that thing will take a toll on you, man. That's uh, 
but I was not going to take my foot off the gas pedal or like at all. I was just like, well, we're doing this and I'm committed. So we got to go. And I, uh, I put my absolute heart and soul into that tournament. So I, I, I was, you were like, like a prime very happy. Yeah. It was great. Yeah, work, I, I hope yeah, you- I think it uh, just gave me that. Uh, now I got that, you know, got that new Japan cred so I can go back anytime I want, you know? Sounds good. I want to close on this. Look, we all grew up loving the Attitude Era. People still want the Monday Night Wars all over again. And I know we kind of have it with this Wednesday Night Wars with AEW and NXT going head-to-head. But it's a larger sort of potential war there. Uh, you can turn on your Scott Hall voice. You can call me Chico if you want. You want a war? Are we in a war right now? Are you looking at the ratings? Are you looking at the critical response? How motivated are you right now to get AEW Dynamite every Wednesday, 8 p.m. Eastern on TNT, to a level where it's surpassing the weekly shows that everyone's used to? Um, I mean, on the one hand, yeah, it, on the one hand, yes, it is war because they are making moves that are trying. They're trying to they're, they counter programmed us and so forth. And they, there's no denying that there's something going on. But I think perspective here is that we're trying to be an alternative. And I know it's going people aren't going to believe me when I say this. They're going to go, no, it's a war. But it's like the more people that are watching wrestling the better it is for everybody. The more people that are watching wrestling on Wednesday nights, the more likely they are to flip back and forth and hopefully they become fans of everybody. Uh, and if we worry about what they're doing and try to win quarter hours and try to win the nights and so forth, I think these mistakes have been made in decades past. We have long-term plans. Uh, there's simple, effective, long-term booking and storytelling that, that is good. We're already there's already little details and little Easter eggs and little seeds being planted for stuff in the future that you won't even find out about till months from now and, uh, in all kinds of different angles. And, uh, if we, if we become reactionary to anything that they're doing, that's just going to screw up our plans for ourselves. We're just going to do our show and, you know, uh, it, that's kind of the that's the only real way to look at it because uh, otherwise if you get too caught up in anything you know like the other week or whatever they're like they're saying after the show they're like yeah they really stacked all they put all these people on the show and everything I was like good then hopefully more people will watch on Wednesdays that wouldn't normally watch on Wednesdays and maybe they flip through the channels on commercial and they catch Nick Jackson versus Phoenix and now they're AEW fans you know so uh, war or not, you got us watching Wednesday nights, 8 p.m. Eastern, TNT. It's AEW Dynamite. And a big part of that, along with Cody Rhodes, the Young Bucks, Kenny Omega and company, is our guest, John Moxley. Mox, it's been a pleasure. Best of luck moving forward. I want a war. I hope it keeps going because it's great for pro wrestling. Yeah, the more energy is up, the more people are talking, the more people are watching wrestling, the better it is for everybody, man. So uh, it's a fun time to be a wrestler and a wrestling fan. Thanks so much for joining us. And we're back, your boy BC, the Brian Campbell. Special thanks to John Moxley of AEW for sitting down and saying what needed to be said. Dean Ambrose looks like he wants a piece of this pie. Yeah, tag, tag, tag that in, tag that in. He has, he does, he will. 
But uh, I'm inspired. I'm inspired by that. The, by look, it's not about AEW versus WWE. It's not about all this crap that we talk about. I'm inspired by people who bet on themselves, who take chances, who say, "I may be in a spot that to you is a dream, but I know I can do more, or I know I can do different, or I know I'm destined." To do this, I mean, look, it's it's applicable to life. If you have a good ass corporate job and it's paying your mortgage and your kids are playing travel soccer, and that's great, but at the end of the day, you you forfeit your soul. You go to bed at night dreaming of, uh, you know, opening up that that oceanside hot dog stand. Whatever it is, go after it, folks. All right, go after it. Do that thing. Find something that's your passion. You'll never work a damn day in your life. You think I'm working when I'm talking to John Moxley? No, it's a shoe, brother. No, okay, bad joke there. But no, I'm not working. I'm just living. This is the stuff I want to do. I've had bad jobs before. I've grinded. I grind all the time. But to hear Mox say, you know, I'm an artist. There's there's more I'm supposed to do. And and bet on himself and do that. And like he said, you know, when he made that decision, there was no such thing as AEW. Cody did the same thing. It, those guys are the Mavericks to me. Those guys inspire me. They wanted to make a change for their careers, but they also felt pro wrestling could and should be different. And when you see people take chances like that in life, uh, I don't think you can lose. I really don't think you can lose. And I think a lot of us too long hide behind certain levels of safety or – don't realize what is actually inside of us that's begging to come out. All right. I'm not, I'm not saying everyone's destined to do, but yeah, everyone is destined to do something awesome. There, there's natural predetermined skills and opportunities and wants that are in you. Let it out. Mox, let it out. Let that crap out. And look what happened next. That fires your boy BC up. All right. So thanks for Mox for joining us. Um, you know, he was straight up and not bitter toward WWE. It was what it was. Uh, he would laugh if Baron Corbin joined the Shield. That popped me. I mean, I asked the question, but that popped me. But uh, he's a wild dude, man. His love of death matches and, and going too far, it, it is wild. And I do have to stop here and, and applaud him and Omega because, you know, who would have guessed that Kenny Omega would have this 2019? The best wrestler in the world, not necessarily doing best wrestler in the world things, Yet he's committing to whatever he's doing. Him and Mox said, we're going to go for it. And I know Kenny had some comments afterwards that uh, maybe he would have done some things differently, but they went for it. And like, how could you? It's a, it's like that tag match earlier in AEW. Remember that, that uh, Young Bucks, uh, Lucha Brothers one where they're like, look, we're going for that spot fat style. We're going to hit. And it's a five star match within that genre. So was this one. So shout out to those guys giving us. Uh, 39 minutes of their souls and 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 laying it all out on damn mouse traps. Great to see. And look, anyone can say what they want. We're in a war and that's fun. It's it's competition. It makes everyone better. Everyone. That's what we need as pro wrestling fans. That's the only way we're eating steak, okay? WWE's making too much money not to challenge themselves. Yes, I love what's going on with NXT and that is getting pushed more to the forefront. That there was a TV opportunity and they can go live and all that stuff. But you need somebody else doing something to to force you. Uh, WWE is too comfortable. WWE proper. But uh, Raw's turning in the good direction. 
wrestling is good right now. Thank you. Even thank you to Vince, okay? I'm thankful for Vince on this Thanksgiving. I got a question for you. Yeah, what do you got for me, Vince? Is Paul Bear telling the truth when he says that your mother was a whore? Oh, that's totally uh, unnecessary. That is just not necessary during the, uh, wow. At any point, Vince. At any point. All right, then. Yeah, I mean, what do you want me to do? Play that really weird Lex Luger sound again? I am sick and tired of playing around with kids. I'm here to get out with the big boys. Thank you, Coach Sandusky. All right, let's be done with that little jam right there but the interviews don't stop i got glenn jacobs for you i got kane for you like i teased off the top it's a great dude he's got the new book coming out this week you're gonna want to check that out all the info's coming up in this interview but uh it's a pretty cool and incredible transformation him going from you know this heel dark demon villain to man of the people and a politician and mayor of knox county tennessee and he, he, like we get into in the interview, he leaned into it. He's like, look, I am a pro wrestler. I'm going to be at Monday Night Raw. And then the next morning I'm getting on the, you know, I'm getting on the jet. The next morning I'll be in your town going door to door. And it worked. And I, and I wish him well in that regard. Uh, I was able to skim his book, as you'll hear in this interview. I did get some of the points wrong that I skimmed, but he corrected me. But, uh, it's a good read. It's, I mean, look, when you have a career like the one Kane has had, when you go, you know, 20 plus years, 30, you know, pushing 30 years in the business altogether, but in this one character, when you're going 20 plus years and you've been able to reinvent it and it still matters to people, uh, you've done something right and you got some stories to tell and it's great. And look at what just happened with the undertaker sitting down with Stone Cold Steve Austin, another guy who'd been, underexposed to a certain degree. And Kane, I mean, look, Kane's more out there, but it's not like Kane's doing interviews around the horn all the time. It's not like, you know, I mean, we get Seth, we get Charlotte. We, we, we talk to all these folks a lot. I don't really talk to Kane that much. So to hear him uh, talk, I mean, you, you'll tell right away. He's a positive dude. He's a real happy-go-lucky guy, despite being seven feet tall and jacked. And uh, he's a good dude. It was great. It was great to chat with him. So without any further ado, it's that time. It's Glenn Jacobs time. Enjoy it. Turkey Day week coming at you right now. It's got to be Kane. Enjoy. My next guest on CBS Sports, you know him as the legendary former WWE champion, the acting mayor of Knox County, Tennessee, and coming very soon, a published author with his new book, Mayor Kane, My Life in Wrestling and in Politics. It's the great Glenn Jacobs, but on this show... It's got to be, it's got to be Kane, brother. Thanks so much for joining us. How's everything going? It's going great, man. Uh, appreciate that. Was a, that was one of the best introductions I've ever had. Oh, well, that Thank was my, you. That was my tryout right there. Hopefully I'll get picked up on the uh, indie circuit there. But seriously, uh, great to get a chance <laughs> to talk to you. Congratulations on your successful crossover in politics, becoming the mayor of Knox County in Tennessee in August of 2018. And I want to start right there because this connection and between pro wrestling greats and eventual transitions into politics is, is more common than people would think or guess maybe. What is that common thread there from the Jesse Venturas all the way through to WWE Hall of Famer Donald Trump to now Glenn Jacobs? 
Yeah, I don't know, actually. Um, you know, but yeah, as you mentioned, uh, former Governor Ventura, um, you know, uh, Matt Morgan is a mayor down uh, in uh, close to Orlando, Florida. Um, B. Brian, Brian Brayer was county executive of Hillsborough County, I think, Florida. And, of course, uh, Linda McMahon uh, ran for Senate twice and then was the uh, small business administrator of the United States of America in President Trump's cabinet. Um, and and I, I really don't know. Uh, you know, uh, what that threat is, if there really is a threat. I mean, for me, you know, it's just something I've been interested in for a long time and uh, wanted to you know, try to make a difference in my community. Um, but I guess you'd have to kind of ask everyone individually uh, what their what their interest is and why would they would want to go from the, the world of uh, professional <laughs> wrestling to the even wackier world of politics. What I loved about your transition, Glenn, particularly is – you completely leaned into the wrestling. I mean, there was no like, oh, that was my former job to the level where you'd make surprise appearances, it seemed, on Raw, even to the build of being a part of a WWE championship uh, title run there right in the middle of campaigning and seemingly going back and forth on private jets. Talk me through that decision where you said, look, this is who I am and this is going to help me win. Well, I know it certainly couldn't run for my wrestling career. And uh, frankly, it's something to be proud of. I mean, I hope at the end of the day, um, some people realize that uh, it took a lot of work uh, to be successful in WWE, you know, and there's not that many people, um, you know, who frankly have had the career and longevity that I have, uh, you know, so that, that wasn't my luck. You know, it, it took a lot of hard work and, uh, you know, and, and all those other things. Um, and it's not something that I want to run from because I'm very proud of that. Uh, you know, and just from, from a strategic point of view, I, mean, I knew what am I going to do? Say, Oh yeah, whatever. You know? So I had, I realized that, that that's part of me. It's part of my history. It's part of my story. Uh, it's part of my, who I am. Um, so we tried to be smart in how to utilize that, uh, and realizing that the wrestling stuff, you know, WWE stuff that was going to get me some attention, but at the same point, I couldn't win the election solely because of that. I mean, I had to show people that there was substance uh, to me as well. So that's what we tried to do. We would use the wrestling stuff, uh, the novelty of all that to kind of open the door. And then hopefully after hearing me speak or talking with me, people would come away and realize, well, he's, you know, He's not just, quote unquote, a wrestler. Uh, you know, there's substance there as well. Um, and, uh, I mean, it worked. It was, uh, it, was, it was hard work and uh, we had to walk a fine line. But um, I think in the end with the results, we can say that it worked pretty well. Well, your new book comes out Tuesday, November 26th. Like I mentioned, Mayor Kane, My Life in Wrestling and in Politics. And I loved the chapter which is titled Difference Between Wrestling and Politics and how you sort of attack the uh, the similarities, if there are some, in getting over and winning over a crowd in the pro wrestling side, but doing the same in attracting voters. There's that subheadline almost of that you had in there, political fans don't know what they're watching is scripted. Can you talk us through <laughs> that whole idea in, in whether there was sort of moments when you're getting in front of crowds at rallies that you're like, hey, this might not be different than cutting a promo on the other side. Well, you know, the point of that chapter actually is, you know, it's unfortunate and it's really more about Washington, D.C. than anything else. Um, the politics has become so much entertaining at this point. 
you know, and uh, the work of the country. And I, I think that I would speak for most Americans when I say this. I, I'm very disillusioned by what goes on in Washington, D.C. And it's all my team against your team. Uh, and, you know, it's it's not necessarily what's good for the country. It's just good. What, it's good for me staying in office or for my party getting more power. Um, and that's just very frustrating. And in that respect, you know, at least when we look at wrestling, you know, we realize, hey, you know, this is this is fantasy. Um, but there are aspects in, in especially, again, in Washington, you know, where it's almost it's almost the same thing. And that's that's not a good thing, um, you know. But, uh, you know, a lot of it is just realizing, you know, that, that how, how do you connect with people, you know, and how are you able to, to do that? And, um in in wrestling, you know, really what it's all about is forming an emotional bond with the audience and being able to uh, elicit an emotional reaction. Um, and that's what a lot of, you know, when you're talking about public speaking, you know, that's some of the same, some of the same, um, same goal is to be able to, to build that bond with people, to get them to see where you're coming from, uh, and in many cases to get them to, to see what your perspective is and how you know, how that relates and how they can agree with you. Um, so, you know, e even though they're different, you know, that part of it, uh, especially in the campaigning, you know, and how to, how are you, how do you get people, you know, to make an impact so that they'll listen to you? Um, you know, then when you get in office, of course, you know, it, it's, it's really about how, how are you able to, to accomplish what you want to accomplish and how are you able to improve your community and what can you go, what can you do to do that? Um, and building consensus and those sort of things. Um, so there are some, some similarities. There's some differences too. Uh, you know, that, that chapter in particular though is a critique on what goes on in Washington. Absolutely. And when you look back at that longevity, you mentioned the fact that, you know, just what a less than a year ago, you were plugged right back into the title picture and hadn't missed a beat here. Uh, I've read some stat where you have the most, pay-per-view match appearances in WWE history, even ahead of your longtime brother of destruction, the undertaker. What has been the key to your physical in-ring longevity, considering your size and, you know, you've gone through different eras of, of hardcore and in many different styles there. What's been the key for you? Well, I've been very fortunate. I've been blessed that I haven't been uh, hurt a whole lot. A lot of that is due to my size. I mean, you know, um, you know, a bunch of crazy stuff all the time um, because I've, you know, I have that big imposing stature um, and that's very fortunate uh, for me. Um, and, and the other, the other part, the longevity part, I, I think is the ability to, to recreate yourself, to reinvent yourself. And, you know, that's certainly not anything that's unique to me. I mean, Undertaker's done it. Triple H has done it. Shawn Michaels done it. You know, Mick Foley had essentially three or four different, different uh, personas and characters. Um, but that, I think that uh, combined with the uh, you know, just the good fortune of being relatively injury free, uh, the ability to to reinvent yourself is the most important thing to stand around for a long period of time. Because eventually, you know, every character, no matter how good it is, uh, you know, people see it enough, and it just kind of you know at some point it gets stale. Um, so that when you can reinvent yourself and, and do different things, that really helps. And for instance, people are like, why would you ever want to take your mask off? Well, you know, I thought I'd gone as far as I could wearing the mask. And then there came a point in time where it's like, well, it's time to put the mask back on. And each time it, it breathes new life in my carry. I actually made 
different characters, even though they were the same name and had the same history. Uh, the character changed pretty significantly. Um, so I would attribute to that to just fortunately being relatively injury-free and uh, being able to reinvent myself quite a few times. A big part of that reinvention, Glenn, of course, was corporate Kane in your role there with the authority. And from from reading your book, I mean, I, I kind of got it, took it from it that uh, corporate Kane came out of the fact that your traditional Kane uh, garb was caught up in transit and you had some travel delays. Was that really the birth of this idea? Uh, I, I don't no, I don't think I don't think that particular uh, part uh, <laughs> that that may have played a part in it. Um, but no, really, the, 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 no, I know what you're talking about. Um, and that that was just, yeah, it's sort of traveling all around the country. And I, I really wanted to do something different. Um, but the, the really the corporate cane idea um, was spurred by again wanting to do something completely different, you know, and uh, then at the same token, you know, taking elements of the other character and putting it in there, um, and you know, a lot a lot of the idea was almost two two characters to some extent, uh, kind of like what Bray Wyatt is doing now, not not the same, but you know, somewhat the same or. Uh, Finn Balor, you know, just that, that idea that you have in you know, a corporate cane, it's one thing. And then the mass cane is almost a completely different character. Uh, you know, so that was really the genesis for that. Um, this particular episode that you're referring to was, yes, was, uh, my weekend, uh, was about the worst, one of the worst travel weekends of my life. Uh, so yeah, I just shot a movie and had to, had to run home and get my gear and run to raw and then go to go here and then go here and go there. And it was a uh, pretty significant, that's one of the things about WWE too, that, you know, uh, I spent 20 years with, uh, 250, maybe 300 days a year away from home on the road. Um, so it's, it's a tough gig. It really is. And, uh, and I have a lot of respect for the, uh, men and women at WWE who pulled that off. Well, speaking of a tough gig, Glenn, I think the people want to know how tough of is it to wrestle in slacks that couldn't have been comfortable as corporate. Kane. <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, you know, sometimes you come up with these ideas and, and then you actually, you know, get out there and do it. It's like, oh, yeah, this may not be the smartest thing I've ever done. <laughs> so my mobility was somewhat impaired. Let me put it that way. Yes. <laughs> well, the story of how you debuted as Kane in 1997 was told so well in the WWE Network special, WWE Untold, which people can find uh, right now on the network. And to go back and put yourself back in that moment, I'm sort of curious in those first initial times that you appeared as Kane and, you know, everyone's, who the heck is this guy? And you're ominous and imposing and everything about the presentation was just a 10 out of a 10. How much was there the legitimate, it's still real to me, damn it, feeling where you were looking at the faces in the crowd as you're walking in and you're seeing that kind of old school fear that almost doesn't exist today in the business? Yeah, I mean, people come up to me now all the time and... uh you know, it's funny because here I here I am, Mayor of Bass County, and you know, people go to me like, "Man, he scared the dickens out of me when I was a kid." You know? <laughs> so it's it's different, but yeah, I think that you know, again, we look at our business, and uh, it's about suspending that disbelief, and um, and that's I, I guess in you know, times of change, but that was one of the great things uh, about that particular period of time is you know you're you're still able to do that to some extent. I think the the Kane character. Uh, was able to do that. And, you know, the, the great thing about the mask was there was, a, there was a mystique 
and people didn't quite know what Kane was thinking or what was going on. And I think that translated really well. You know, and of course the story was just so well done by WWE and so amazing. And I'll never forget just walking out that walking out in St. Louis for my debut uh, at Bad Blood. And, you know, talk about it's still real to me. Well, it was real to me right then because, you know, my, my first thought was, well, so this is what it's like to be like a superstar, right? You come out and there's this enormous reaction from the crowd and it was just unbelievable. Uh, you know, and then I'm out there and it's uh, with, with The Undertaker and Shawn Michaels and after they've had this tremendous match. And, of course, one of my major concerns was just don't mess this up, you know. Um, but to be thrown in the mix with those guys and then, to be out there with Austin when Austin was just on fire and just the hottest thing going, you know, and the crowd's going nuts. And, you know, when uh, I, I won my first world championship at, at King of the Ring, uh, the same night that Nick Foley, of course, was thrown off the helmet the cell structure. Uh, I actually won my first world championship. And no one ever remembers that because, you know, because that was, you know, the night that Nick went off helmet cell twice, um, you know, but I lost it the next night. But even then, I was I was so pumped uh, about just having a match with Austin at that point because the crowd was electric. The, the, that was in Cleveland at uh, you know, the, the night after um, King of the Ring, and the crowd was just electric. I mean, they were, it was unbelievable. All they wanted to do was see Austin win the title back. Um, and you know, those, those are the moments. I mean, it's it's hard to put into words because, as you say, you know, it's just like the you can say whatever you want about our business, but those emotions and those reactions, that's all real. And it was pretty amazing to be able to live through that stuff and be a part of it. Well, your career has been so in the, it's tied into that of The Undertaker as well. Storyline. And, and just from the standpoint of longevity, the two of you still going today, as we record this, a lot... Many of us are excited to check out Stone Cold Steve Austin's new WWE Network interview special, the Broken Skull Sessions, which is going to feature episode one, a sit down with The Undertaker. Considering how much Mark Calloway's character has been protected in such a unique way in this modern era of shoot interviews and podcasts and all that, we're excited to check out sort of who the real man is underneath. Can you give us a story of going up and down the road with Taker and just really that that solidifies who this guy is as a person inside. Uh, so we were, um, we had a match in Houston, Texas at the old, the old summit. And, uh, it was not too long. I don't believe it's too long after, um, King of the ring. And, uh, Mark actually had a broken ankle. Um, he had, um, they'd done a vignette, uh, I think, I can't remember what night it was. Anyway, they'd done it then yet. Um, backstage, they'd done a pre-tape. And he'd, like, kicked over a TV or something. And um, when he did, uh, he bent his ankle too far back and broke broke his ankle. And a few nights later, we're in Houston, Texas, and the guy can barely walk. And we get out in the ring, and we're having the match, and it's quite apparent that he is very hobbled and uh so i'm like just hit me and i'll go down you know and he's like no you know you're not gonna sell he's like you know this is you, you don't sell and he just he just wouldn't you know he kept on with the match um and trying to make me look good despite the fact that he could barely walk 
Yes. And that's the kind of performer he is. That's the kind of person he is. And, you know, of course, people were, you know, people were booing the match. But they had no idea, you know, that he was in the sort of pain that he was and he had the lack of mobility uh, that he did. Uh, you know, but he was more concerned with me and trying to make me during that match than he was really his own his own health, um, you know, in that particular situation. Um, so that just tells you the kind of person that he is. It's a great story, absolutely. No question about it. We are fired up to check out this book at length. Tuesday, November 26th, Mayor Kane, My Life in Wrestling and in Politics. Was it hard, Glenn, to choose what stories you leave in, what you leave out? Am I going to make this person angry? Am I going to, you know, anger the political side? How was that process for you? Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's a bit of a challenge, but also it's just I had to have so much material, you know, from being in – uh, being WWE so long and so many stories that I really had to pick the best ones uh, to put in the book and the ones that are most entertaining. Um, and I, I was telling someone the other day a story. They're like, why didn't you put that in the book? And I was like, oh, I, just, I didn't have room, you know? Um, so, you know, that's, yeah, you have to editorially have to make some decisions uh, about what's in the book. Um, you know, but here's the thing, man, I've, I've had a fantastic life. I had a fantastic career and, uh, it, you know, it certainly wasn't all me. It was about a lot of the people and, you know, about getting a chance and WWE giving me that chance and working with people like Mark Calloway and all these other people. Um, you know, so hopefully that comes through in the book. Uh, it's just, you know, it's just the wonderful opportunities I had uh, and the great people that I've just been privileged to work with and associate with in many different venues in my life. I want to close quickly with this. You're going to end up uh, with such, you have such a great career. It's a Hall of Fame career. We all know this. Was there a moment, Glenn, when you got to a point, and even putting humility aside, you sort of woke up one day and said, "You know what? I've really done some things here. I've really put together a legendary career. I'm sort of outlasting my peers in this era." Was there a moment of a, of a transaction there at any point? Not really, because you're, you know, I was always focused on being in the moment and doing the best job that I could. And even though, I mean, I had, you know, I started in WWE in 1995 uh, and my start, my start kept me humble. Trust me. <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> uh, you know, a lot of it, I was just, you know, I'm just extremely, you know, I, I'd seen both sides, you know, um, I've seen the not so successful side and then, you know, being fortunate to have uh, a great deal of success. Um, you know, but I, I, you know, I know what both sides are like, uh, but nevertheless, I mean, uh, I started in 95 you know, so I've had a 25 year career, um, and it's just, it's it's a, it's it's like on so fast now, you know, and um, it, that that's probably the most amazing part to me is just how you know how fleeting everything is and how how fast everything moves, especially you know when you're just concentrating on on the here and now, um, you know. So uh, I, I don't I don't think there's ever a moment I said, wow, I'm just this you know, this great, this wonderful superstar or anything like that. Um, you know, I was always just concerned about going out that night and doing the best that I possibly could. Uh, you know, cause I thought the people that bought a ticket to the show, uh, deserve that. And, you know, I mean, I've always been, I've always, I'm always pretty hard on myself and, you know, pretty self-critical. Um, 
you know, so that, you know, that I don't, I don't want to say it's perfectionist, but, you know, I'm always learning and always trying to do better because I think that our audience deserves that. And I think the people that I work with in WWE deserve that. Um, and that was the thing that I was always concentrating on was just doing the best I could and, you know, and trying to be better at my craft all the time. Hey, you did the best you could through what fake diesel, Isaac Yankum, Katie Vick, a lot <laughs> of ups right, and downs, but right, you, yeah. you got a great career and it's all in the book. Mayor Kane, my life in wrestling and politics. Congratulations on the book, Len. Great chatting with you. And hey, those folks down there in Knox County, Tennessee, they got a good man in the office these days. Congrats on everything. <laughs> well, man, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Take care. All right. Special thanks once again to WWE and Glenn Jacobs for making that happen. Get Kane's book. Get on out there and read that thing. A legend in this business. They always say that, you know, like never meet your heroes because they'll let you down. And I always counter that and say, like, never meet someone you think you don't like or may not like or may not like their art, their art, right? Their work. Because you'll kind of find out, like, oh, that was kind of cool. And it just happens all the time. And, you know, I've never really been the most, the biggest Kane fan as a, as a, pro wrestling fan as a mark but uh hard to not love that guy i find that a lot in boxing a lot of times you know i cover the sport you'll have a flashy boxer that you'll just assume oh that guy's an a-hole but then you interview him then you then you meet him a few times and and you know you you find out much much differently and uh yeah uh good talk with kane excited for him moving forward exciting for pro wrestling forward excited for this podcast moving forward we gave you Stone Cold last week. We gave you Kane and Mox this week. We're going to have another special next week. And one of those guests for you pro wrestling fans, be on the lookout. Alberto Del Rio. Yes, Alberto El Patron. Call him what you want. He's got, of course, a big time MMA match December 7th, Saturday against Tito Ortiz for the promotion Combate America. It'll be on pay-per-view. Alberto is a, a vice president executive with Combate uh, he's fought MMA before, nine and five pro record, but not for like nine years. This is going to be an interesting, uh, attraction fight, if you will. But we got Alberto on the show along with Tito Ortiz, along with Max Bretos, the voice of Combate America, who, by the way, also used to work for WWE as an on-air guy in 2007. Very few people remember that for the former Sports Center acre, Max Bretos. So check out this full bonus show coming Monday. Max is going to talk about his days in WWE with the great Todd Grisham, working with VKM, all that stuff. And we're going to have Alberto talking MMA, but also talking wrestling. You know, what are his regrets on his final run in League of Nations? And, and what is his relationship today with Vince and WWE? And also... You better believe I'm going to get him talking about this. Say it with me. Mex-America. Say it. Mex-America. Say it. Mex-America. I'm not going to say it, Dutch. Well, you better be learning to say it because you're going to be hearing it a lot from now on out. No, we never heard it again. That's that's the thing. So we're going to talk to Alberto about that. I asked him straight up. You want to fight Jake Hager? You want to fight Swags? You want to rekindle that rivalry? You want to maybe hear this soundbite from Hager? You know what? I'm rock hard right now with emotion. I got a phoner. Yes, me too. Uh, find out on Monday to hear what Alberto has to say about that. But uh, whether you're shopping this weekend, whether you're eating turkey, whatever you're doing, thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of our journey here at CBS Sports. Shout out to my many co-hosts, Rafe Bartholomew in boxing. Brandon Wise and the UFC Hall of Famer Sugar Rashad Evans on the MMA side. The Silver King Adam Silverstein 
and outback Jack Crosby yingling enthusiast, I might add, on the pro wrestling side for what they do. Mikey Mormile, our great producer, on the ones and twos behind the scenes. John Demuzio, another guy who lends a big hand to the SOC. Shout out to the ghosts of SOC past. My great friend, the great Nick Costos. Not only did he not win it, I felt that he lost it. I missed that guy. I missed that guy a lot. He brought a lot of passion to this show. Follow his work at Sports Illustrated, his betting radio show, all the good stuff. You can probably follow him on Twitter, man, or on IG at the Costos because he's still giving us hot wrestling takes. Um, that's it, folks. We gave you Mox. We gave you Kane. Get out there, say hi to Grandma. Uh, look, when you're talking about Thanksgiving meal, here's the deal. It's it's the it's the sides that count. Turkey's fine. There's some people that love them some turkey. It's really overrated though. It's the sides. It's the mash. It's really this combination. Okay, this is all you really need in life. Mash with corn on top of it, gravy on top of that, stuffing next to it, maybe like a green bean casserole or something next to that, but a small little scoop. Give me some of that can cheap cranberry sauce, the old school, like rugged white trash, that version. That's great. But the real centerpiece to that meal, it's a meat pie. Not everybody Fs with that. Not everybody's French Canadian. But it's like three different kinds of meat baked into a pie. It's really the greatest thing that's ever happened, and you put gravy on top. Also, shout out to Aunt Cheryl for throwing in lasagna in her Thanksgiving spread, which I will be at this week. Can't go wrong with that, folks. I know it's not part of the same category, but it works. It really just works in the in the end. You better believe I'm looking to win the Campbell Backyard Touch football game this year. Uh, I'm on a streak there. I'm on a streak, okay? It's, it, there's adults, there's kids, there's it's a full mixture of that game, but it's aggressive. We go at it. And uh, you better believe your boy BC is going to let it all hang out there. And um, shout out. Shout out to all of you. That's it. I'm rambling. But, you know, this show, it's it, it plays a big part in my life. I'm glad that it plays a big part in your life. It, it, this show will make you happy. This show will... Fill your time. This will protect you. This yes. will love you. Yes. This will guide you. And this will make you the god of wrestling. Wow, that's a bold statement there, Hulk. But hey, nice try, Terry. But, uh, you know, that's fine. That's fine. Um, It's time to bid adieu. So, uh, Kevin Nash, thank you. Yeah, thank you. That's what you should be saying. I just did. Shut your mouth. Okay, my show. say thank you. Thank you to everybody. We give thanks. And we. Oh, you want to hear? You want to hear the soundbite first? All right, you want to hear it first? You got it. It's we got. We always get a little Randy on the way out. Interview. Interview's over. You understand? Done. R.I.P. Randy. R.I.P. Liz. R.I.P. Gene. We out.